I think a materialist approach to things is very, very consistent with uh, my experience in Christian social justice. I feel like the, the deeper I get into anarchist practice, the deeper my faith is getting at the same time. I would hope that you know, securing means of life for all would be something all people of faith would say, oh yes, that's at the basis of what we believe. Those who are most marginalized know the most about the truth, good and the beautiful. To me, it's less that I think building class solidarity is a bad thing, as much as it seems like if you don't attend to things like anti-black racism, um, that's always going to get in the way of building class solidarity, actually. And when you go back, you find that a lot of uh, revolutionary grassroots participatory movements, the, the precursors to what you could call um, the barrio assemblies and these like, you know, grassroots neighborhood organizations, a lot of these were sponsored by the church. What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there? Um, you're always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects. Welcome to The Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm your co-host, Matt Bernico. And I'm your other co-host, Dean Detloff. Folks, this week we're doing something goofy. Um, usually we, we bring you like a good interview or a book that we've read or an article that we've read or something else we're putting together about Christianity and leftist politics, hence our tagline. Uh, but this week, my life is changing completely. It's upside down. It's slantwise. It's bad. <laughs> it's bad and crazy. Uh, I'm moving to another country, in case you didn't know that. Um, I'm moving to Scotland with my family, and it's going to be really fun when we get there. But until we get there, it's going to be really not fun. Um, so anyways, all that all that being said, uh, didn't have a lot of time to prepare something this week. So we're going to dust off an old fan favorite. Maybe not a fan favorite. We've never really gotten a lot of feedback on these. But we are going to check out the Christianity subreddit for the for Christianity's most hot and burning questions that they can't help themselves but post to the Internet. And then we're going to talk about some uh, current events and uh, just have a great time. So um, if you if you like me are having a stressful and crazy time in life, use this time to center, center yourself, listen to the world's worst questions and uh, just just vibe with us here on this podcast for a bit. Just be grateful that you're not the one asking them. I think that's the key. That's true. <laughs> great point. Um, so, Dean, I have a I have a really hot question for you right off the bat. I'll take so it. So most of mine are about heaven hell or the devil so um you know they're gonna be good questions here's my first question it was asked one day ago um by a username i'm not gonna say the username because that might be bad um but it was asked one day ago and they ask how does the devil work and this is not uh if, if i was asking this question it'd be whether or not he's union but it, i wasn't so anyways uh somebody else asks out there if the devil can't place thoughts in your head the same way that god does <laughs> a lot of assumptions here already then how do people get influenced by him, the devil? Um, I'm pretty sure the devil is non-binary, but I don't, I don't know. I'll, I don't really know. Um, anyways, the uh, they go on to say, how can people be influenced by demons or attacked by them? Uh, so, Dean, if the devil can't put thoughts in your head the same way that God does, then how does the devil influence people? What a great question. How does the devil work? Uh, sorry, God can put thoughts in your head, but the devil can't. That's the idea, right? That's the the fundamental kind of difference here that we're dealing with. That's what this person says, and I'm inclined to believe them. Right. Um, let's see. I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, the devil can't get in your head. The devil didn't make you, so the devil doesn't have access to your uh, your source code or whatever God has as the big programmer of reality up there. So that leads me to think that the devil is more kind of like a, a modder at the end of the day. The devil kind of 
can play around on the the outskirts of the the programming of your spiritual life, but can't really get into the the nitty gritty. And I think that's how all all the other demons are too. They're all nerds behind their big computers, uh, trying to work out how to give you one more inclination to sin that you didn't otherwise have, but they can't, you know, put a thought in your head. That's reserved for God as the big programmer. Okay, that's an interesting. So can you give me an example of how that would work out? So the devil, he's back there behind the keyboard, modding up uh, the big Gary's mod that is our world. And then what, what does the devil do to, like, get you to get you going? Yeah, well, you know, it's all ones and zeros up there or down there, I guess, because he does it in hell, of course. And he's course. typing his ones, his ones and zeros in the big nerd command room of of hell. Or, I mean, probably he outsources it to uh, one of his, you know, um, precariously employed demon interns or something. They do all the ones and zeros. And uh, I don't know anything about computers, but my guess is, you know, they can sort of see a little bit of the code like Neo does in The Matrix, but not all of it at once. And so they're sort of like you're walking by... Um, the great hot dog stand that you walk by every day and you usually pay the two dollars you need to pay to get the hot dog. But today the guy's looking the other way. And I think it's right at that moment that the demon is like, I can mod this code right now. I'm going to make this guy steal this hot dog instead of pay for it. I think that's the that's kind of how it works. It's a pretty high tense, uh, intense situation for the demons down there. After I was reading this question, I was thinking a lot about this book uh, that Carolyn Walker Bynum wrote called Christian Materiality. There's a lot of things going on with this book, what it is, but uh, she's trying to talk about the ways that like material culture influences Christianity. Um, So actually just the exact opposite of this whole thing. Um, (laughs) So, you know, uh, maybe not uh, not how demons are like uh, hacking the source code of of the Gary's mod that is our world. Uh, but how like, uh, you know, a communion chalice might be like influencing, I don't know, medieval Christians in these different ways uh, mm-hmm. through design, which is like a really interesting question. Unlike this one. Anyway, so I did uh, I did do a quick Google of, uh, you know, whether or not demons can possess items like objects in mm-hmm. like the, I don't know, the wider theological cinematic universe. And I did actually find uh, this a very similar question to this Reddit question on Catholic.com, which is, uh, I'm sure, right. a very reputable website. And the question is, can objects be possessed by demons? And then uh, the answer from Catholic.com is only people can be demonically possessed, but inanimate objects can be negatively controlled through curses. Right. Uh, so I guess what I'm trying to say here, Dean, is that this 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 Reddit question that is um, that is bonkers is uh and your answer to it is the Catholic answer that uh, that demons can't uh, can't mess with your brain. They can't put an, an idea in there like God does, but they can uh, they can do all kinds of things through uh, just stuff around you. They can borrow your body. They can borrow. Well, they can't borrow. I guess they can borrow your body for sure. Yeah. But they can also like get into your water bottle and your right. un- underwear and stuff to do all kinds of things. <laughs> There's a, a real Freudian listener out there who's just had a lot of light bulbs go off, and I'm really sorry about that, Matt, for you specifically making those choices, water bottles and uh, underwear. Um, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's right, um, and that sounds right to me, and that's why in uh, my Catholic world there's no such thing as a haunted doll or all these other kinds of things. There's only hauntings uh, that relate to dolls. There's some kind of important preposition involved there. I don't know which one, but... There's a grammatical separation between haunting and objects. 
The uh, Catholic the Catholic answers does go on to say um, that we can also distinguish between the cursing of an object and an object's being impacted by demonic infestation. Um, so there's a whole there's like I guess all I'm trying to say here, uh, Reddit user, is that some people have thought about this, and you might want to consider Catholicism <laughs> because those people are Catholic. <laughs> You know, uh, say what you will about the Catholic Church. The one thing we do have is an incredibly convoluted answer to literally every question. So that's true. I'm um, trying to think of like what what the like the the Protestant answer to this question would be, and it, and it would not it, it would not include like a wide variety of like metaphysics regarding like the difference <laughs> between infestations of demonic forces and curses. So mm-hmm. Catholics really have this one locked down. They have you know they have all the infrastructure already for this one, and I think that's great. We should celebrate that. Yeah, we're uh, we're a, th- a thinking person's Christianity, that's for sure. Um, don't think too hard. Right. So I'm going to give you a, a related question here, staying with the devil here. And this question is, Satan is the leader of every last villain that isn't a false god, which I understand is not quite a question, but I feel like there's maybe a question in it. It's a more, statement. More, I guess, it's a, it's a statement. <laughs> it's a statement, but um, I'm wondering about your uh, reaction to it. So Satan is the leader of every last villain that isn't a false god, and the body of the text says he leads every last villain in real life and fiction, important qualification. Uh, Satan is the number one, most popular, highest, greatest, and worst villain by fact, and he will do anything to conquer creation by leading them and the evil souls. And I guess yeah. my question is, is that right, Matt? Is Satan the leader of every last villain in real life and fiction? Okay, I feel like uh, pretty pretty conflicted about this one, actually. Um, okay, so uh, Christian metaphysics, especially when it comes to God, is really confused. We were just talking about this on Twitter with somebody. It's really confused with the way that we think of uh, electricity and the way that we think of light. Right. Like um, all of <laughs> I'm pretty excited to find out where this goes, by the way. Sorry to interrupt, but that is not the direction I thought you were going to go. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm going a little bit of a different direction. I'm going to go to the other direction, though, in a minute. But let me just get, let me get the metaphysics, the uh, the medieval metaphysics out here for just one second. <laughs> so, you know, all of creation, it's just like an emanation of God. Right. The things that we're seeing, it's just like the it's just like God's light reflecting off of something, <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> there's there's more to it. Um, but, uh, when it comes to, uh, evil, I think it'd probably be a mistake to say that it works in the opposite direction that like these, uh, all of the evil things in the world are really just manifestations are led by Satan in some way. Um, and here's why, because if you want to say that Satan is like the guy behind all of the villain, the guy or, or person or gal, whichever Satan is, I'm not sure. Uh, mm-hmm. If if they're the person, they're the entity behind all of the evil things, even in fiction, then you run into a real problem. Um, because, for example, um, C.S. Lewis, he's out there, he's writing the Chronicles of Narnia, and he's got a bad guy in that book for sure, right? the the mm-hmm. bad The bad witch whose name I don't remember. <laughs> um, and if it's the case that the devil's behind all of the villains, then the devil's behind writing. Uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, and that can't be the case, mm. right? That does mm-hmm. not make any sense to me. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So the devil can't be behind at least fictional villains because it would mean the devil is also behind um, some of Christianity's greatest heroes like C.S. Lewis. That's what I'm saying. Exactly, right. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. It causes uh, a pretty big problem. 
Yeah, I think you're right. I think you've really handed it to this uh, particular Reddit user, and I think they're wrong. And I'm going to send you the URL of this one, Matt, so that you can explain that to them. So <laughs> I think it's really going to help. Sometimes when we're doing these questions, I feel like I'm one of the people within a Socratic dialogue, and I've just said something <laughs> like absolutely like brain-bustingly dumb, but like <laughs> logically it checks out somehow. And then Socrates is probably out there somewhere like, oh, you idiot, you dumb, you dumbass. <laughs> I think that's right. But, uh, you know, I've been reading a little bit about uh, Dante's Inferno, and Socrates didn't make it to heaven, so what does he know? Oh, really? Did he get stuck somewhere else along the way? Yeah, he's in like, he's in the version of hell that's basically a dentist's waiting room, so it's not so bad, but it could be worse. Mm-hmm. Well, when I'm on my long walk up from purgatory, I'll give him a high five as I pass him and <laughs> tell him to keep going because he'll make it someday, I guess. Right. Uh, it's hard to tell. Um, OK. Yeah. It's OK. Hard to say. <laughs> well, uh, we can hope. All right. I have two more questions that you need to answer. And another one of them is about hell. Um, and then the last one's about heaven. So I'm going to keep right. going on the hell vibe and then we'll we'll ascend uh, j- just like Dante up the big hill into heaven. Um, All right. This one was asked five hours ago. And the question asks, asker says, do you think people before the Reformation went to heaven? Hmm. Okay, we've heard this question before, but in in a different format, right? Usually this question is about uh, people in the Old Testament or something, right? But this Mm -hmm. is about before the Reformation, which I think is extremely funny. (laughs) I wonder what kind of Christian wrote this question. Um, They go on to say, (laughs) if you say sola fide, faith alone is the way to heaven and without anything else what would you say about all the christians before the reformation happened all the knights that fought for their faith in the crusades were mostly catholics and some orthodox a lot died so you think that they were damned to hell for not being for not believing in sola fide which is very funny to be like that's the reason right that's the reason that they didn't make it to heaven is because they uh, all these uh these crusaders that they didn't make it they didn't uh, have sola fide uh, anyways, they they found the Crusaders. They found and died for their faith more than Protestants do nowadays. So, <laughs> did did they go to hell? Man, uh, well, who knows where the Crusaders went? Uh, <laughs> pretty pretty big thing to talk about there. But uh, I do like the idea of asking if Christians before the Reformation did go to hell. Um, you got to imagine, like, there's the one guy that Luther was talking to in the uh, the monastery where they were all living, uh, and, you know, he died right before Luther nailed his big theses and just couldn't get out under the wire. What a bummer for that guy. Um, maybe even uh, all, of, uh, all of Luther's, like, you know, his parents, they went straight to hell because too bad Luther couldn't convince them or something. Like, maybe he outlived them. Uh, there's a lot of extremely funny scenarios where everyone's waiting around for Luther. Uh, yeah, I think... I mean, I'm Catholic, so I think that, you know, you probably have a greater risk of going to hell after the Reformation than before, but um, it's pretty hard to say. I I mean, think of this in light of the first question that you asked me about, uh, the first question I asked, I guess, about uh, demons and their influence. Mm-hmm. Um, it, is, it is very funny, though, to think that, like, okay, um, Jesus dies, he's resurrected, he ascends to heaven, and then until the Reformation... Uh, <laughs> everyone is just like out of sorts and going to hell. And then, you know, and then uh, Martin Luther does his thing. He nails his great big list to the door and like, and then God, he finally gets somebody over the, um, (laughs) over the the finish line, 
Like it's like somebody <laughs> like uh, you know like blowing a blowing wind into like a toy boat and finally just finally <laughs> getting it to the other end of the pool, and everyone else sank far before that. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, Jesus died, and then my guess is this question asker would probably say maybe the first hundred years or so people were still getting to heaven, and then there's like you know uh, like fourteen hundred years of people not going to heaven, and you got to imagine like Jesus is pissed about that situation too. Uh, like, what did he do yeah. all this work for? Such a bummer. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it stinks. It's a big stinker. So, anyways, um, what was your answer? What's your? What, I'm I'm typing it as you're writing as you're talking. So, what what can I put here in the comment box? Right. So important. Um, if we get a uh, hundred more patrons the next year, we will uh, respond to every Reddit question that we, uh, <laughs> that we ask in this podcast. Um, oh <laughs> that's the commitment I'm making right here on air. Uh, you could you could tell this uh, this person the answer is um, everyone went to heaven before the Reformation. Huge mistake. All right. I've put that in the comment box and I've hit submit. I <laughs> uh, can't wait for all the upvotes and the sweet karma that you're about to get. Um so I was going to ask uh, another question, but I'm just going to ask the uh, third one that I had. I'm going to skip ahead. And I okay. found this one because you are moving to Scotland. And, you know, it used to be the case that I would look occasionally at the Anglicanism subreddit because Matt goes to an Episcopal church. But now you're going to um, the land of the Presbyterians. So I did look That's at the right. Presbyterian subreddit, which, first of all, Matt, I got to tell you, good news. Presbyterian subreddit rules. Uh, there's people in here talking about all the best stuff. Social justice. They're talking about North Korea. It's uh, just a wild situation. Um, That's pretty different vibe. Yeah. It's very different than everybody talking about what a thurible is or whatever. Um, so <laughs> this this is, though, I think, a pretty quintessential Presbyterian problem. Before you go any further, I just want to make this announcement on the podcast that, like, the town I'm moving to, it does have, it has several churches of Scotland, which are all Presbyterian, and there is a Scottish Episcopal Church, which is Anglican. So I guess, like, <laughs> right now, what I'm trying to say is that the Anglican Church, Anglican Church better step up and, like, really make a big <laughs> offer to me, or I'm going to go, I'm going to go wandering. Just, I just want to put that out there, out in the world, so the Anglicans know that they do need to um, really sweeten the pot if they want me to keep going to the church that's further away from my house. Um, that's going <laughs> well, to be a big you're deal. Well, you're going to be closer to Washington than you've ever been, so you better watch out. I would still stop. If I was, if I was going through England and I was going past Washington, I would definitely stop and go to... The Anglican one first and then go to the Catholic one after that. Right, right. Uh, well, um, we'll see if there's a Presbyterian lady of Washington. Um, so <laughs> the the title of this uh, is Open Bar Scotch Night in the Church, colon, normal, question mark. <laughs> and the uh, body is, uh, my church is having Scotch Night with tastings of various types of scotch and open bar for a pretty reasonable price. It will be held in the Fellowship Hall, and the goal is to celebrate our Scottish heritage. That works for oh. me. Although, I haven't seen an open bar event at a church before. If this was your church, would it be approved without any hesitation, or would there be resistance? So, all right, you're about to move to Scotland, and I guess, um, you know, my question is, first of all, the church that you've been going to uh, now, um, would you be able to have such an open bar event without any hesitation, or would there be resistance? And uh, what do you expect to find in the land of these Presbyterians, the, the land of the Scots? In an Anglican church, I don't know if you could do that. I mean, it's not like I don't think that there'd be any like um, pearl clutching, morally speaking. I think it's more of just like you got to have a, you know, you have to have a committee to set this event up. And that's going to be the biggest hurdle. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's true. And uh, the committee would uh, presumably probably also have a lot of questions about the open bar and the reasonable price. Um, it seems, though, that Presbyterians just yeah. aren't too bothered about that kind of uh, terminology. And I feel like that's probably good. Well, the Presbyterians, they have like a local sort of church, uh, church council. I don't know what it's called. Um, that's their whole thing, though, is having like a, a local committee kind of figure it all out. Whereas the Anglicans right. are constantly waiting for the the central, you know, the um, the the central sort of bishop to say something one way or the other about it. So it's like I think that the um, what I'm trying to say here is that the Presbyterians are already kind of like geared for a more participatory democracy, whereas the Anglicans are constantly waiting for the party to step in and uh, and right. really lay down the law. Well, it sounds like the decision's been made, Matt, and I look forward to hearing uh, what happens at the closest church to your apartment, wherever it might be. If if there isn't a church near my apartment that is having like a night where they let me drink scotch in in church, I would be really <laughs> down for that. I'm not like a huge I'm not a huge scotch head to begin with, but I would definitely drink some at church for a reasonable price. Are you kidding me? Absolutely. Yeah, that is the key. Okay, I've got one more question. Um, we've walked up the big purgatorial hill towards heaven, towards the beatific vision, and now when you think about heaven a little bit more than hell and demons, get away, put those things behind you. Um, so this one was great. This one was asked nine hours ago, and I gotta tell you, someone's trying to be a little bit goofy with this one, but there's some um, some important questions within it. The title of it is "Be Cool If There Are Dinosaurs in Heaven." True. <laughs> It would be cool. I think that's right. Um, okay, here's the question. It's a little bit long, so stick with me here. Would you want to remember this life if there's an afterlife? I know that this is yet another topic that's been beaten to a pulp, but the possibility that you'll not exactly be you in the afterlife. Sorry, listeners, the uh, the grammar is always complicated on Reddit, and it's hard just to read <laughs> and interpret. Um, having a very Deridian moment. Uh, okay, <laughs> anyways, the, the question goes on. Like Jason Bourne or something, wakes mm-hmm. up in the boat after being fished out of the sea with amnesia. Same person, but not. Nothing right. of his previous life is coming to mind, which perhaps would be a good thing for a lot of people which I'm guessing brings in the verse about how God will wipe every tear away <laughs> in, in this, in this, uh, in this formulation, uh, your tears are your memory and God <laughs> is wiping your memory. Personally, I'd like there to be dinosaurs in heaven. Maybe people could hop into invisible spheres, which move about by their thoughts. Invincible as well. Go under the sea and see all those dinosaurs. Or I could go to the creationist museum for my vacation and see some. All right. <laughs> assuming that there's a there's vacation in heaven which i think is also a very funny idea i would kind of hope that heaven is a forever vacation except it looks as if you'll not get to choose what's up there predetermined maybe you'd be forced to go to a baseball game but baseball is boring you'd rather go watch hockey not really what a fan is of going crowds, on i can't <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Hang on, we'll get to the bottom of it in one second. Okay, right. you're not really a fan of crowds, but too bad you're going, and you have two choices: peanuts or cracker jacks. At any rate, even if God became real to me again, I can't envision an afterlife. Seems as if one's imagination and ability to create what's around you would be expunged. Okay, so there's a lot of grammatical problems with this whole thing, but uh, here's what this this question is asking: It would be cool if there were dinosaurs in heaven. But how, how does heaven exactly work, right? So say that you're up there, and mm-hmm. it's supposed to be paradise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is maybe how it could work. There would be an invisible sphere that you get to get into, and you get to go under the sea if you want to. And then there's all kinds of great stuff that you can do, but like you have to do it is the kind of thing that this mm-hmm. person is suggesting. Mm-hmm. It's predetermined. 
you have to go to a baseball game, even if you don't like it. Um, you have to go to, if you if you want to go to a hockey game. Too bad you can't. You have to go to baseball. It's like you're going to do a fun thing, and maybe that fun thing that you want to do is not like exactly the most fun thing to you, but it's like it is heaven, and it is kind of a fun thing like that you'll be happy about. So I guess like that's the suggestion. It would be cool if there were dinosaurs. That would be a great part of it for sure, right? But at the end of the day, heaven is going to be great stuff that like maybe you won't want to do, but like you'll probably just go along anyways and do it. What's yeah. your what's your take on this? Well, I think if heaven is like a vacation, then that sounds like a vacation. On a vacation, you do some stuff that you like to do, but also your parents are like, we are going to go see the museum you don't want to see. We are going to go see this baseball game that you may or may not want to go to. And I think that makes sense. I don't think heaven is like a big vacation, though. Uh, oh, interesting. I think, I think it's probably more. Um, hmm, trying to think of the right kind of metaphorical analogy here. And it's not coming right away, but it can't be like a vacation because a vacation has to end and you have to go back to work. That's what makes it a vacation. Mm-hmm. I feel like right, heaven is, right. is really just more. It's just more vibes based. And once you get out of purgatory, I think there's also like. You're just going to be purged of your um, your desire or you'll be purged of like not being into it. That's what I think. Um, and I know that's kind of a vague way of phrasing it. You'll just be purged of not being into it so that when you do get to heaven, you're just going to be into it. If there's a baseball game, you're going to be into that. OK, I think that's fair. Um, but then you would be Jason Bourne like pulled out of the sea and not you. Exactly. Right. No, you're still there, you. If there are things going on in heaven. Yeah, but not quite you like Jason Bourne. Mm, I think unlike Jason Bourne, you are still you. Um, and also unlike Jason Bourne, um, you're just kind of like into it. Okay. Jason Bourne famously not into it. And that was a problem for him like, in that movie. Like you're still you. And so you'll probably want to, I don't know, like, um, you know, just knowing you, Matt, you're going to want to have a big pizza. You're going to want to skate the big half pipe with your new skateboarding abilities. You're going to want to do all these great things. You're going to want to play every every instrument in the ska band, all that kind of stuff. You're going to do that because you are you. But when someone's like, there's also a great baseball game, you're going to be like, yeah, I'm into that. I'm going to go to that. Yeah, okay, that makes, when you put it that way, that makes sense. Because it's just like, why wouldn't I want to? Exactly. It's kind of like, yeah. Because it's going to, you know it's going to be the best, okay. It's going to be the best baseball game, and you'd want to go, even if you don't yeah. like baseball. Here's the, here's the question that seems to be vexing everybody here in the comments that I think I do need to bring up. Um, so the the user did ask this question and, and suggested that maybe you'd have an invisible sphere that would be invincible, so you could see the dinosaurs underwater. Right. And that seems to have rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And I to- I totally get it. Everyone uh, in the comments is asking why you would need an invincible sphere to be inside to protect you from the dinosaurs, because like mm. it's heaven and the dinosaurs right. wouldn't attack you. True. That's true. Someone does suggest, though, if you got eaten by a dinosaur in heaven, if you would go to super heaven and that person's thinking on my level. I like I like that mm-hmm. question a lot. But mm-hmm. um, I think that the, I mean, are there dinosaurs in heaven? Yes. Or are they going to attack and kill you? Only if you want them to, I guess, right? <laughs> um, there's a thunderstorm gathering right outside my apartment right now. So I do think we should move on because I think God is starting to be like, you guys are really testing your luck down great there point. talking about uh, all this afterlife stuff. Great point. Great point. Great point. Let's we're um, messing around and we and we might find out. Alternatively, though, we know that um, God can put ideas in our heads, but demons can't <laughs> and demons can True. uh affect the the exterior world uh, and probably gather a thunderstorm, I would imagine. So you never know who's behind that one. True. 
I'm going to roll the dice, though, and I'm going to move on to um, current <laughs> events. So uh, something Matt and I like to do um, on the walk-in podcast where we usually do these goofs that uh, may or may not be landing at this stage um, is we save ourselves by talking about something that we do know how to talk about, current events, things that are going on in the world. And I've got a great one that is perfect for this podcast, Matt. Um, I don't know if you saw this news. Uh, Pope Francis He's changing everything up at the Vatican. He's creating new offices. He's messing up old offices, all kinds of stuff. And uh, the office that used to be the CDF, the Congregation for the, I don't know, Doctrine of the Faith or something like that, um, it's what uh, Cardinal Ratzinger, eventually Pope Benedict had. It's the the police, the theology police of the Vatican. Um, Pope Francis changed it. Now it's the dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith. And he appointed a new guy, to uh, be the head of it, a guy named Victor Manuel Fernandez. And uh, he is uh, an interesting guy. He knew Pope Francis before he was the Pope. Lots of stuff going on here, but it did create a bit of controversy. And I'll just read the headline here that will give you a bit of a, maybe a flavor of what's going on. So this is a really important office, um, you know, very prestigious, uh, pretty significant stuff. And the headline is, New Vatican Doctrinal Chief Cardinal Fernandez Defends Book He Wrote About Kissing. And uh, that's where we're at <laughs> in the Catholic Church right now. Um, this guy, Cardinal Fernandez, he wrote a book, uh, which, to be fair, the title of it is insane. It is called Heal Me With Your Mouth, The Art of Kissing. And uh, He's really he, bringing this upon himself. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know, I'm sure this guy is great or whatever, but he's really he's really welcomed this into his life by that yeah, title. I, I think so. Shouldn't have done um, that. He shouldn't have done it. It was published in uh, 1995, so it's been a while. But uh, a lot of conservatives have dug it up, and they're really mad about it. And so, as you can guess, he has had to defend himself. Um, And he has also said a number of pretty funny things about it. Um, He said in this article he's quoted as saying, "Uh, I was already older, and I thought that this is a book about a kiss. Um, So I said, oh, sorry, let me back up. Um, (laughs) He said a lot of funny things about it. Uh, there were apparently people who wanted to reprint the book and he uh, had the foresight to stop that from happening. And he said, no, no, please don't reprint it. Let's leave this in the past. But now it's my karma. <laughs> so I oh think he God. gets it. It was a big mistake. Um, he, uh, There are some pretty funny excerpts in it. Uh, but also he argued that he can't be accused of anything because the book in question, quote, contains no heresy or error. Extremely important. Um he uh well like what's also, the what's the thesis of the book kissing is nice because like thesis, i mean yeah i guess yeah i mean it's kissing is nice and also here's what it is and here's how to do it and uh i mean <laughs> okay. all right we're, we're gonna get blue on the podcast for a minute here here is an excerpt from the book he says a couple with a lot of sex a lot of sexual satisfaction but a few but few kisses that are genuine or with kisses that say nothing, is digging the grave of love with each sexual encounter, creating routine, fatigue, and weariness until one of them finds something more human. So this is the vibe. Kissing is really important. You got to do it. Uh, You got to get into it in the right way. And if you don't, you're going to have a bad time. So it's a a big book about kissing. It is what the head of the dicastery for whatever it is, the the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith, is currently um, embroiled over this particular controversy. And Matt is a Protestant. Um, I'm just curious to hear, to hear your uh, reaction over this really important uh, kissing controversy. First of all, I want to say I love it as a person who grew up in a time where um, the most important book about kissing was Kissing, Dating, Goodbye. <laughs> I'm glad that someone's on the right side of this argument, finally. Um, 
here's the thing. You don't have to convince me that kissing is good. Um, I think it's great. <laughs> Everyone loves a good a good smooch from a person who they have reciprocal feelings for in a consensual way. Uh, but the last person you need to write a book about kissing is a priest who <laughs> who legally cannot kiss by church <laughs> law. So I think that's a I think that's a problem. I'm here for the subject matter. I'm I, I think the sentiment is right on. But like, could you not write this book? Could you go well, back in time and stop yourself? Here's something really important about it, though. Um, another detail in here, uh, it says, Fernandez said he wrote the book along with a group of young people when he was a parish priest in the Argentine town of Santa Teresita. Uh, he said it was written as a catechesis for teenagers with the contributions of his young collaborators, and he improved them by providing a little editing. So technically, this is a teen book by teens for teens with the blessing of oh. their local priest, and I think that is actually pretty rad. Oh, that's different. Okay, I feel differently about this now. This book is the gospel in Salantaname for horny teens. <laughs> it's by teens for teens, and it's to encourage kissing. I think that's okay. I think that I'm coming around to this whole idea. I think that's great. <laughs> so, okay, Joshua Harris from the evangelical world is like, don't kiss anybody until you get married. Kiss dating goodbye. And then this horny priest from South America is just like, yup. No, <laughs> to be it. clear, get- to be clear, it's the teens who are horny, and the priest is just like, that's fine. I think we need to create an important oh. Catholic distinction here. This okay. is like a, this is, is basically the same level of distinction as can a demon uh, inhabit an object or not. The teens are the horny <laughs> okay, ones, okay. and the priest is just like, all right. Yeah, that makes sense. Good point. Important distinction, and I appreciate your correction on this. Um, I've done a full 180 on, on how I feel about this book, and now I'm all for it, and I think it should get republished, and uh, good for this priest for getting these teens behind this whole idea. Yeah, I gotta know. I need this great kissing advice from this Argentine pastor and his great teens. Yeah, I think so. Uh, okay, man, what a great a great article that was. I think we should, if that book does get republished, I for sure need to know what's in it. I need to know what secrets uh, of kissing are behind that paywall. Um <laughs> All right, here's a current event that maybe you've heard about. Um, on July 13th, my birthday, uh, SAG, SAG-AFTRA, the um, the Screen Actors Guild and the, I can't remember what AFTRA stands for, but it's like other performers and people who work on TV and movies, all, all of them, they all went on strike, um, which is a significant thing because uh, the uh, writing guild is also on strike. So the writers are on strike, the actors are on strike, um, in it's all kind of converging geographically in LA, which is fun. Uh, Los Angeles, the city of angels. They are also right now the city of strikes. Um, hotel workers in are also on, on strike with unite here. And that's pretty fun. And then fast food workers also on July 13th had, uh, three different strikes that day. So, it, uh, July 13th, my birthday, a day of strikes. And I like it. Um, I think all of the strikes are really interesting for different reasons. And um, you love to see workers standing up together and telling their bosses what they need to hear, um, mostly to stick it. But also um, the SAG strike is really interesting to me for a lot of different reasons. I mean, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of nuance to it that I think is maybe worth figuring out somewhere like um, some of the SAG members are having a. I don't know, I guess a discourse about scabbing and like, can they still promote the films that they recorded that they, you know, were in beforehand and it's this whole conversation. Um, mm-hmm. My prof- my professional opinion is that they shouldn't. Um, you should not promote any work <laughs> whatsoever that you did uh, if you're on strike. But um, whatever, I don't know. I'm not, <laughs> I don't have any skin in that game, so I guess that's fine. Um, but the interesting thing to me about the SAG-AFTRA strike 
is uh, the news that came out, I guess, exactly why they went on strike, um, or at least one of the pieces to the puzzle of why they went on strike on the 13th. So I think a big reason behind the SAG strike has to do with like residuals and streaming and like how much actors are getting paid uh, for, you know, being a Netflix show. Like, you know, are, are they getting reoccurring uh, residuals for a show that's getting streamed a gazillion times? And as it turns out, a lot of um, actors are not. And that's a big problem. But another interesting part of the story is that um, a lot of studios were trying to, like, I guess, get a trend going. I'm not exactly sure how to talk about it. Uh, there's a proposal from Hollywood execs where they wanted to use a particular type of AI technology to scan extras in the background and then to be able to like use AI to like, just like kind of copy and paste them into other, um, into other movies into other TV shows. And the, uh, the rub there is that they would get paid the first time that they were like scanned into the matrix, but they wouldn't get paid after the fact. Um, you know, so like you could be you could be scanned into one movie and then all of a sudden uh, you're like an extra and then you're, you're never going to work again because like your likeness is going to be used in <laughs> all kinds of other things and you'll never get paid, um, which I think is really I mean, obviously bad, right? Like that's mm-hmm. awful. Um, people don't think of acting as work and being an extra as work, but surprised it is. Um, <laughs> anyways, I guess the thing that's really fascinating to me about this all is that um People are always talking about the ways that automation in capitalism specifically will be used to replace workers. And usually the conversation around that is like reserved for low wage workers. Like you'll hear it all the time in fast food, Um, fast food workers, they want more money. Well, they're going to get replaced by robots. People have been saying that for, I don't know, 10 years and it's never happened. Um, There's like there have been PR stunts around it that McDonald's has done, but still never like happened in a production kind of scale um you also see it all the, all the time too when it comes to retail workers like you know things like um self-checkouts or whatever that's like an example i think of automation kind of not it's not quite automation because it's really just um passing the passing the work on to the um the customer but still you know those are those are things that come to mind when it comes to like replacing workers with like automation kind of processes but one place I don't think I ever would have really guessed it would come up is in acting and in, in the entertainment industry. Um, but, you know, AI is becoming more of a conversation in that, like, that sphere. Like, you know, when it comes to writers, um, you know, writing episodes of TV shows or movies, you know, the, um, the, the danger is that, like, AI could replace that or AI could replace um, actors uh, actually in a, in a movie. Anyways, all that to say, that's such an interesting kind of piece of the story and, like, such a weird like bleakly apocalyptic thing within the story and uh, all that to say the worker i mean i would never say the workers were wrong for going on strike but this is like particularly egregious i think and uh good for them for for going on strike and i hope that they make uh hollywood executives pay them a lot of money that's all i'm saying that's all i have to say about it I mean, it's pretty interesting watching how that strike has also ballooned. I feel like, you know, it started with the writers being on strike and now the actors are also on strike. And uh, IATSE, it sounds like, is uh, at least going to take a strike vote, I think, last I heard. So that would shut down like Broadway and, you know, live theater and things like that. And uh, it is pretty wild because you have to imagine with all the big gaffes that like, 
Bob Iger, the Disney CEO, or other people are making on TV, you know, complaining about actors or whatever while they, like, drive around in their big multi-million dollar yachts. Like, they could have just avoided all that and, you know, withdrawn what is, frankly, a completely absurd demand <laughs> to just, like, scan someone's uh, likeness and yeah. then use it in perpetuity or whatever. They could have just, like, not done that, and then the union would have chilled out. And, you know, they could have, I don't know, just like figured it out. But instead, now it's ballooned into like an entertainment industry strike wave. I think that's extremely funny. Um, very cool. And uh, I've been following a lot of Boots Riley, by the way, who you should follow, because what's great is now they also do have, um, I think, more left wing people involved in the union who are pushing it in a pretty big way and trying to like historicize the scale of that strike. And, you know, Boots has been talking a lot about um how the last time the industry struck together this way was like the sixties or seventies or something. And that's yeah, how they ended it was up 1960. getting. Yeah. Like they got, you know, healthcare and uh, all kinds of other benefits and so on by virtue of doing that together. So anyway, just great to like see how, um, how that solidarity is, is spreading and really fun too, to see a lot of actors who I basically don't care about. Otherwise <laughs> all of a sudden I'm like, Actually, this person's awesome. They're great. So cool that they're out there on the strike line or whatever. Um, that's really neat to see. Neat to see all your favorite stars walking, not the red carpet, but the picket line. Yeah. Where the energy. Yeah. Um, Bob Odenkirk is out there, which I really love. That's really fun. <laughs> yeah. um, so some, it's it's great. Uh, it's great to see him out there. There they are real people um, behind the movies. Yes. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> sometimes I forget. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's cool. So the there's a big strike wave in L.A. It seems like, you know, it's another good moment for labor. We saw, you know, things kind of kick off, I think, for lots of organizing and lots of like labor unrest after. Um, I don't want to say that COVID is over because it's still kind of a looming threat within our society and to people all over the place. But like after I think, you know, some of the initial waves of COVID died down, there was like a lot of labor unrest. And now we're kind of seeing it again after. Um, well, I mean. After uh, a whole quarter of the year where billionaires made tons of money and, you know, all these companies are having like record profits and stuff, uh, people are still fed up with it again. And I think that's a great a great thing to kind of like grab onto if you can talk to your coworkers, friends. That's what you should do. <laughs> talk to your coworkers. Uh, don't let these don't let all of your favorite actors have all the fun. You, too, can go on strike. It's possible. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's worth mentioning, too, that like uh you know, UPS might also go on strike in the coming weeks. Right. And maybe they won't. It seems uh, yesterday the Teamsters announced that uh, UPS is like kind of coming back to the table. Um, there's like this really this is kind of like off the a little bit of a digression. But I saw this discourse today on Twitter that I thought was really bizarre. And maybe by the time this episode comes out, people will, I don't know, be talking about it more or maybe not. But uh, people on Twitter were talking about, I think, like maybe in like more DSA circles, they were talking, though, about whether or not um, labor people would be bummed if UPS workers didn't actually go on strike. And I think that's such a weird way of thinking. Um, I mean, strikes are exciting for sure, right? They are the coolest thing ever to see people walk off the job and make their bosses cry. We love it. But if UPS workers don't go on strike, um, that means that something else cool happened. And that is like corporate, like <laughs> they they buckled. And like that's even cooler, right? That even just the threat of a strike can get... Um, to get UPS to come to the table is really awesome. I mean, I think it it shows that like, you know, to, to have a, to have a powerful strike, it has to have like a credible threat to business. Mm -hmm. And if uh, UPS decides that they will, you know, like 
buckle and they'll come back to the table and they will actually bargain with UPS, that means that like the strike threat is credible and that you have that much power, right? That you don't actually have to go on strike. You can just threaten it. And that's a good look. <laughs> so I'll just say um, UPS might go on strike. Maybe they won't. And even if they don't, it's not necessarily a loss. It's, it's, I mean, it could be a loss, but <laughs> it probably, probably not. It means that they have a lot more power than they think. That's right. Bring your Bible study, bring your pastor, get them on down to the strike line, uh, meet your favorite actors, tell them you think they should get paid, and talk to your coworkers, get them down there. Uh, we can all go on one big strike. We can finally get sleepy Joe Biden to uh, forgive student loans, give us free health care, and uh, who knows, maybe even uh, you can get a, a kissing priest or two down there to really hear what the teens are oh talking God. about and uh, and get into it. I think that's the, that's the culminating um, synthesis of this episode a bonkers one the the priests are not the ones kissing it's the teens the teens are kissing and that's good teens <laughs> if, if anyone's kissing it should be the teens that's right uh that's what it says in the catechism <laughs> the, the official teaching of the church uh nothing heretical about teens kissing <laughs> uh nothing heretical about x is a really good joke actually <laughs> i love it it's a good one all right folks um well in the next episode it'll be a lot more put together than this and uh probably not as goofy uh but anyways, thanks for indulging us for the moment. If you didn't have fun, at least know that we did. And that's what's really important here. So thanks for listening to the Magnificast. If you like what you heard, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the Magnificast. And if you didn't like with this one, that's okay. Just skip it. Just listen to an older episode. No big deal. Um, but if you support us on Patreon at, at $2, you get an invite to the uh, the Discord channel. Um, uh, that's uh, an exclusive Discord channel. I'm sorry. I need to frame it exactly the right way. And it's really cool. Lots of great people in there having interesting conversations about, I don't know, whatever, all kinds of different things. Um, some folks are deciding to meet in sort of like a small group style setting, which I think is interesting. I mean, good for them. I'm maybe I'll take part. I'll, tr I'll try to jump in if I can. But uh, anyways, a great endeavor. Love to see the uh, the participatory planning of a small group on a weird leftist Christian <laughs> discord um our intro music is by amari armstrong our outro music is by the illogical spoon and uh we'll see you next week i don't want to get up for church in the morning church in the morning souls alive heaven come to earth and there won't be no church we'll meet down by the riverside there we'll swim with all creation Never get tired, never bored Don't worry, someday There'll be no dam between us and our Lord Jackson, keep your hoods up you Keep your hoods up And you stay up late Jackson, keep your hoods up where you keep your hoods up and you stay up late Oh, don't mind a cold night But we might mind if you leave too soon So come on now, it's still early At least I would have